0: This is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. Spring has sprung here in the United States. Kinda. As, as I record this, yesterday was uh, spring forward, which I detest with a passion, but, you know, that's me. Um and this also means it's time for students to flock south or to coast around the states for the annual migration that is spring break. Now, I never did spring break successfully in heavy quotes. I somehow was never around. During that time, I would I would say I was doing arguably more enjoyable things for me personally, like I took my first trip to Europe for school. Um, which was my first time on a plane, I remember. But I only managed to do the the beach spring break thing once, um, and there was a cold snap, so there was no swimming to be had. We, like, all stayed indoors. We did get matching airbrush spring break shirts, which I occasionally bust out. Another popular thing to do for spring break where I'm from is to go to Savannah for St. Patrick's Day Parade. It usually happens around the same time. And if you've never been, never heard of it, it is a party. It is a huge party. My best friends did it every year in high school. Um, I only made it once, and it was to march in the parade. So, again, not really spring breaking it. I did later go in college, and um, I don't really have time to go into the story now. It's a good one. Uh, It involves the board game Stratego, a failed accountability system, and dead cell phones. Ooh. Um, and one year I was away working or some or something., um, and my friends made a cardboard cutout of my head, called it the Spirit of Annie, and it appeared in all of their pictures, <laughs> and they tagged me in all of their pictures um because I was there in spirit, anyway, for those of you who are planning your spring break, we hope that you have a fun, safe one. Um take care of yourselves. and here are some history facts to annoy your friends with on the trip. (laughs) Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Caroline. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, if I had asked you a week ago what you thought were the
2: origins of spring break, what would have been your guess? someone uh, had a hose and someone was wearing a wet a, a t-shirt a wet t-shirt contest maybe
1: <laughs> and then I don't the t-shirt know. got
2: wet yeah someone ran through a sprinkler on a beach somehow and someone was serving jello and accidentally like whoops a daisy <laughs> poured a lot of vodka into it i like it mm-hmm. that that's creative but it's not at
1: all close
2: to the origins of spring break in real life not not a bunch of just happenstance mistakes that lead to drunkenness <laughs> and And wet t-shirts? Not a series of happy accidents.
1: More like one happy accident. And then, once upon a time, we had the casino pool in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And so, backing up a little bit, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. It was cold up at Colgate University, and the swim coach did not want his students to get out of shape over Christmas break. So one of his students' fathers suggested that the team come down to Fort Lauderdale and practice at the casino pool, which was the first Olympic-sized pool in Florida. It had been built in the 1920s. And so he did. So all these swimmers come down to Fort Lauderdale, and they're enjoying the warm weather and the the warm welcome. And as it tends to do, word spread among college students that this was a cool thing to do. And thus spring break
2: was born. And this is in 1936 that Ingram first brings that Colgate University swim team down. I had no idea that spring break Began started in the 30s. Yeah, in the 30s. Even though some might say that, hey, you know, the idea of a, a spring celebration can be traced back to Greek and Roman times with the bacchanals and the changing of the seasons, and mm-hmm. hey, it's getting warm, let's pour a bunch of wine. Um, and <laughs> but really, in the United States, it started more in 30s. Although, uh, once you have kids going off to college, men and women, and the advent of the car and the road trip, Mm -hmm. then you start to get kids getting a little frisky when they have some time off from school. But the idea of spring break and this whole let's go to the beach... And have a real good time. (laughs) Starts all because of Fort Lauderdale and this casino pool. And Sam Ingram, who was, yeah, really, really concerned about his swib team. Yeah, all
1: that Christmas ham. Yeah. He was worried that they would get little swimmers guts. So, yeah, in 1936, he brought the team down. And by 1938, more than 300 swimmers were competing in the College Coaches Swim Forum at this casino pool. And... According to the New York Times, a Bacchanal was born.
2: Yeah, the first mention of spring break in Time magazine happened in 1959, I believe, where one of the revelers commented... It's not that we drink so much. It's just that we drink beer all the time. Right. So keep it going. (laughs) So little has changed since those early days. And then in 1960, Spring Break really enters into uh, mainstream culture with the Hollywood production Where the Boys Are, which is a movie based on a book by the same name starring George Hamilton that – star of yesteryear who was always so tan always so tan i think i have a purse the color of George Hamilton. <laughs> That's actually the color. It's George Hamilton Brown. George Hamilton. <laughs> um, and it's about these four Midwestern college girls who spend their spring break in, where else, Fort Lauderdale, the first capital of spring break. And I like how the plot line revolves around all of their different ideas of premarital sex. Like the main character is sort of the headstrong feminist who's like, premarital sex is A-OK by me. And then she meets George Hamilton and she's like, I could have premarital sex with George Hamilton. But then the moral of the story in this 1960 film is that she doesn't have to do it before she's ready. Right,
1: and that is the moral of spring break as well. Um, And by the 70s, this is according to Time Magazine's brief history of spring break, which is very interesting and tells me all sorts of things that I had no idea about. But uh, they say that by the 70s, Things started to get a little raunchier. There was a lot of gratuitous PDA and balcony diving, which is when kids would jump from one balcony to the other to try to get to people's rooms. Oh,
2: those kids. And there's
1: actually a study out there about spring break syndrome, which is referring to the number of accidental free fall injuries in the spring break atmosphere and how they're different from, like, let's say a side impact injury of a car wreck. Wow. So all these kids getting drunk and jumping from balcony to balcony— a, a term was coined
2: that reminds me of yoga drop foot. It's from <laughs> the from the yoga episode where very specific injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by 1985, more than 370 thousand students were heading to Fort Lauderdale every year for spring break and things were getting out of control. The mayor of Fort Lauderdale started freaking out about it. Police started freaking out. In the 70s, there were a number of arrests that were happening every year on the beach because kids were getting out of hand. A lot of uh, spring break syndrome spreading everywhere. People not falling off the balconies, but just just falling on their faces. Other types
1: of spring break syndromes. Yes. And you mentioned the mayor. He actually went on Good Morning America to publicly state that students were not welcome in his town anymore. And former city commissioner Robert Cox told the New York Times that the commission voted to purchase a riot tank with a water cannon to counteract any potential student rampages. And he didn't stop there. Not only did he buy a freaking riot tank, but when he became mayor, streets were reconfigured to discourage cruising and high-end hotels and restaurants replace the lower-end student-attracting dive bars and things?
2: So the thing that I was expecting with this idea of talking about spring break for a podcast was that it would start I don't know in the in the 80s or the 90s it's something a product of MTV because growing up MTV always had their televised spring break weeks and it was a lot of you know bands and drinking and wet t-shirt contests but the fact of the matter is that ever since large groups of college kids have gathered in a warm locale since the late 1930s trouble has ensued it's all swimmers faults (laughs) It
1: is those darn northern swimmers
2: but mtv does play a role in this in 1986 mtv's spring break debuted in beautiful daytona beach not fort lauderdale no
1: and uh, i think this is a really good example of popular culture feeding what goes into the media which then feeds back into popular culture. And MTV Vice President Doug Herzog said that Spring Break is a youth culture event. We wanted to be a part of it for that reason. It makes good sense for us to come down and go live from the center of it because obviously the people there are the kinds of people who watch MTV. So it's a cycle. Like he saw these young people doing all these crazy things and thought, yes, we need to be a part of that. We need to put it on TV to get more people watching it to boost our ratings. And then the more
2: people who watch MTV Spring Break, the more people go down to MTV Spring Break. Right, because it, it cements this idea in our our young and impressionable minds that hey, you know, for that one week in March or April, that's what we we're supposed to do. Right, black out every night on not, Jello shots.
1: Not like what I did my freshman year of college, uh, which was go to New York City in March. It was a freezing, and at the same time that I went to New York City with my friends, I don't know why I'm pointing down. Uh, New York City is up. Anyway, when I went to New York City and it was freezing and I was wearing sweaters and standing in line to see Conan O'Brien, my roommate went to Florida and won a wet t-shirt
2: contest. Which I think illustrates different perspectives very well. The only spring break that I can remember making into some kind of occasion... During college, because I was I was probably working most spring breaks, um, was one beach trip that my friends and I took camping down on St. Augustine. But the way, the timing of spring break was in early, early March. Right. And it was still cold. Mm-hmm. And I remember going out there, sitting on the beach with my, with my <laughs> swimsuit on, but wrapped up in a t- towel, determined to have some fun in the freezing cold sun. And there was <laughs> these wind gusts would kick up and just <laughs> blow sand all over us. And, uh, and I went home a day early. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I was in middle
1: school. Every year I went to my aunt and uncle's house in Fort Walton Beach Florida Mm -hmm. same thing I actually got bronchitis one year because it was so cold but I was determined to go in the pool
2: (laughs) (laughs) I am gonna have fun and yet again we turn ourselves into Kathy comics (laughs) 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 from a young age On a more serious note, we do have to address the riskier behavior that does tend to go hand-in-hand with these spring break romps.
1: Yeah, a 2006 study in the Annals of Tourism Research uh, found that students appear to participate in riskier behaviors in the spring break environment, than at home. And this sounds like a Mm no-brainer. I mean, duh. If you've ever been to Spring Break or watched Spring Break shows on MTV, you you know that people are acting kind of crazy. But they look at why this is happening, and they found that it's your personal normative beliefs and situational expectations that predict your intentions to binge drink and take part in it
2: while you're on Spring Break. So basically, it's that thing of saying, hey, you know what? I'm going on spring break. I've seen what spring break looks like on MTV and in the 1960 film where the boys are (laughs) starring George Hamilton. And I am expecting to go down and have a party-filled weekend. And I'm just going to go... Right.
1: And similarly, intentions for casual sex were predicted by attitudes, again, personal normative beliefs and expectations. But the actual engagement in casual sex was predicted by prior experience with it. So you might go down thinking like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have all of this crazy spring break sex and drinking. And then your actual actions might not measure up exactly.
2: And then the most disconcerting finding from this 2006 study was that a majority of students who did in fact engage in sexual activity rarely or never used condoms during spring break.
1: Yeah, that is scary. That's a lot of unprotected sex
2: happening Mm -hmm. with a lot of possibly intoxicated people. But speaking of numbers, let's put some percentages around how many, what proportion of students are having sex. This is a little bit dated. A 1998 study of Canadian students from the Journal of Sex Research found that, not too surprisingly, more men than women intended to have casual sex on spring break. But uh, when the, the numbers all shook out, the Percentages of guys and gals Who actually did it Pretty similar 15% of men And 13% of women So maybe the casual sex Not as rampant as we think Could be Maybe people are just Talking it up
1: Yeah Yeah And one thing uh, that researchers looked at in in a 2006 study from the Journal of Studies on Alcohol was comparing spring break behavior to normal behavior. Because it could be that people are never drinking during the year and going crazy on spring break, or that they're drinking all the time and it just continues when they go on vacation. And so they conducted phone interviews with 176 freshman students over 10 weeks to learn about their typical behaviors and found that the people who drank more during the regular semester are men, members of fraternities and sororities, students on spring break, and those with higher fun social expectancies. So the people who are just expecting to have a better, more wild time in college. And they found that alcohol use did not actually increase during spring break in general, but spring break travelers increased their alcohol use during spring break.
2: So it was the binge week. It was the wake up Crack a beer instead of having coffee. Right. And just go until you can't go no more. And that
1: finding echoes the quote that you said earlier from Time about It's not that we drink so much, it's that we drink all the time. That's from 1959. 1959! Well,
2: and now there's the whole thing of leaving the U.S., going to destinations like Cancun, where the drinking age is 18, to make it even easier. And then you go to an all-inclusive resort, and it's just fountains of mimosas and hurricanes. (laughs) That is quite a bacchanal. Yes. So now that we've covered the risks and established the fact that yes, indeed, a lot of alcohol is consumed on spring break and has been since the dawn of spring break. (laughs) Let's talk about the business end of this.
1: Right. Because all of this alcohol consumption and hotel stays and restaurant eating, Well, not eating of restaurants, but eating at restaurants, just to clarify. Although some of those drunk students probably have (laughs) attempted to eat a restaurant. (laughs) Chewed on a a restaurant. Um, Yes, so this means that business is booming in these spring break towns. And according to the Houston Chronicle on March 18th, hotel bookings for Texas Week, which I'd never heard of, but I guess it's the big spring break event. Of Texas? Of Texas, uh, which ran from March 11th to 17th. Um, we're at 95% capacity, according to the special event coordinator for the South Padre Island Convention and Visitors Bureau. I actually know someone who spent spring break in South Padre Island, and I did not look at her pictures because
2: I just think they'd be crazy. And apparently South Padre Island is popping. And it's interesting, Caroline, that you mentioned that you did not choose to look at her pictures, which I'm assuming were posted on the social network called Facebook. Indeed. Because social media supposedly is tamping down on the spring break fun. These college students who have largely grown up with social media are so aware of how easily they can be caught and broadcast doing things such as wet t-shirt contests and jello shots that they aren't partying as hard as they used to be. Well, see, yeah, the New York Times identifies this as a trend, but
1: I I question how much of a trend it actually is. It might just, it might just be a part of these kids' lives now Mm -hmm. because Facebook is everything on Facebook and the internet is. I mean, it's just so prevalent and it's all intertwined, and it might just be more of an attitude that they have now. Like, okay, well, I'm still going to go down and have fun. I just don't want people taking pictures of me so that potential employers will see them, right? You know, because I feel like when I was in college, Facebook. Uh, or I got on Facebook in 2004 which was my sophomore year of college so I still wasn't even for the rest of college I wasn't thinking about like oh my gosh someone's going to see a picture of me holding a beer and I'm going to lose a job mm-hmm. but maybe it's just so prevalent now that kids are are really worried about it and one uh, one 28 year old bartender is quoted in the story as saying that the students she sees are very prudish and that 10 years ago people were doing filthy filthy things but it wasn't posted on Facebook so there's a little bit of Nostalgia from a
2: 28-year-old. In a commentary about that New York Times trend piece, the blog Jezebel also brings up this issue of whether or not women women are being more slut-shamed into sort of tamping down on their crazier spring break activity. Because you also have to remember that out of spring break culture, we have the whole girls gone wild culture Mm -hmm. of filming Pretty young women who are usually pretty intoxicated doing some pretty sexy types of things.
1: Right. And I mean, I think I've told you this before, Kristen, but my dad's only advice to me when I was going to college was don't let me see you on a commercial at three in the morning. Mm. So it is a concern out Mm -hmm. there that our young ladies, our young college ladies will end up victims of Girls Gone Wild. But this the whole social media thing really isn't killing spring break revelry. I mean, plenty of people are still going. And all these articles coming out of Florida this month, uh, reporting on the spring break craziness down there, basically said that hotel
2: occupancy is up. In spite of the recession. It's incredible. I saw right. on, I think it was from U.S. News & World Report, the average college student will spend... $1,100 on a spring break getaway. Right. This is in a recession economy. I couldn't even do that before the recession <laughs> I when I was in college. Right.
1: Uh, the Sun Sentinel on March 12th reported that the Greater Fort Lauderdale Convention and Visitors Bureau expected about 1 million visitors to Broward County alone. And those 1 million visitors were expected to spend, oh, I don't know, just about a billion dollars. A billion. So even though there are all these towns in Florida who back in the 80s were like, enough. We don't want to be that kind of town. We don't want to have a week-long disruption in our lives. They're finding ways to still attract and draw visitors, but just hoping that it's not the same like craziness. That was so common in the 80s. Not all that spring break syndrome and balcony hopping spreading around. Right. Because they're actually attracting a lot of not just college students, but some of the hotel people that they talked to for this article were saying that there were a lot of convention people Mm -hmm. and families too go down to the beach for spring break. So there's a a mix, although I would not want to be a family staying in a hotel with a bunch of spring break college (laughs) kids. I would try to stay
2: somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be part of the give and take of of being a tourism-driven city. Um, But we've been talking all about this debauchery that goes along with spring break because I think that we can pretty conclusively say that the history of spring break has been kids getting in cars and planes and going to a a hot location to drink alcohol. Swimmers. (laughs) But there's also been the more recent rise of alternative spring breaks which is great. There are new options for going and using your time to improve the world in a way, whether that's doing um, cleanup after Hurricane Katrina or going to a more remote location to do some kind of humanitarian outreach, educating yourself, doing outward bound trips.
1: Right. And uh, there's Breakaway, which is a nonprofit that provides training to colleges, universities and other nonprofits. Interested in creating lifelong active citizens, according to their website. And so this is for people who, yeah, who want to participate in things like Habitat for Humanity and help build houses and things like that on spring break and help better their community or, you know, a faraway community, if they so choose, instead of going and getting drunk.
2: Right. And I would say that the alternative spring break is probably one of the most positive outcomes of spring break. Not to say that when I was in college, I did not look forward to having that week off. Right. And maybe... I did walk into this podcast a little bitter that I don't still have that time off because I have friends who are now getting their master's or they're in law school, and this is the time when they're all going on spring break.
1: I know. I almost forget what spring break was like. Mm -hmm. It must have been so nice for me to not do homework for a week, be able to sleep late. Shivering
2: in New York City. (laughs) That
1: was only one year. I honestly don't remember what I did for spring break for the rest of
2: college. So I hope that listeners will consider this our kind of spring break gift to ourselves. Just just a fun little podcast trying to figure out where this strange Bacchanal came from. And it really just came from that uh, sun and alcohol and, and... Cheap airfare. And George Hamilton. <laughs> and
1: my purse. So please tell us about what you did or currently do during spring break. Uh, in college, if you went wild, or if you maybe
2: did uh, some alternative spring break stuff, mom stuff at discovery dot com is where you can send those letters. And we've got a couple of letters here to share from our episode on women's wrestling. And this first one is from Andrew, who is a big fan of professional wrestling. And he writes, In recent years, WWE's hiring policy of women has been to hire models and train them to wrestle. Usually this ends up poorly and the matches are train wrecks. However, WWE has hired some women who are very talented, who started out on the independent wrestling scene, trained by themselves because they loved what they did. Beth Phoenix, Natalya Neidhart, and Karma in WWE are good examples. Some of the models even took to wrestling well, like Eve Torres, who trains in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. The independent scene has a vast array of talents, such as Sarah Del Rey, cheerleader Melissa, and Ms. Chiff, whose day job consists of being a microbiologist. If you want to check out a promotion in the U.S. that has talented female wrestlers, check out the Shimmer promotion, as the promotion is based more off of the wrestling than sex appeal. So, thanks for that insight on women in wrestling, Andrew.
1: Okay, this is from Shane. He has some thoughts to share in wrestling as well. Um, I can get behind the mixed wrestling at the college level, and I can get behind more opportunities for girls wrestling at the high school level. I don't think I can get behind mixed wrestling at the high school level, and here is why. High school is a time when boys and girls are learning appropriate behavior in relation to sexuality. It is also a time when hormones are running wild. While listening to your podcast, I tried to think about what it was like for me when I was in high school. Wrestling with a girl would have posed some awkward problems. This sort of a situation is just asking for an un- unintended sexual harassment suit, not to mention the social stress associated. So thanks.
2: That makes sense. I can see how there could be some some awkwardness yeah. on that in that tiny tiny ring or mat on the mat. I always say ring for mat. Wrestling. You're thinking boxing. of WWE. I know.
1: Kids wrestling in the WWE
2: <laughs> also would be it's weird to see. Okay, well, discovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also find us on Facebook. Leave a comment there. Like us if you'd like to. And you can follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. You can also check out what we're doing during the week on our website, HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Forks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House DuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.